Well, I um, echo Jeff, how thankful I am to have Jack on staff, and um, how proud I am of, of, of Jack. And, and so um, thank you, Jack, for joining us, being with us for, for a long time here. But um, anyway, now on staff. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Special welcome to all of you who might be first time with us today. We, uh, we're privileged to, to have you worship uh, with us this morning. And um, we pray that, we hope, we always pray and always hope that it will be a, a good, um, encouraging and strengthening time in, in all of our lives. Well, we've been in an um, eight-week series in the book of Philippians. Today's the last Sunday in this series. And I mentioned at the very beginning that I, um, this was actually, the book of Philippians was actually the first book I, I ever did a, any sermons from, way back in seminary, which um, I think the year that I actually did th this in a class was back in 1975. Curious how many of you were not even born in 1975? Probably more than, well, anyway. But uh, I, uh, I, I can't remember what, what it was uh, that got me into the book of Philippians, why I got interested in that book, and why I did it. But I, I do remember that once I got into it and started working on it, was five sermons that I prepared. It actually ended up being the first five sermons that I did in our, the other church that I had. Uh, for, uh, Beck and I were at in Wisconsin before we came here. But I remember the, the, it didn't take me long being in the book before. I, I was impressed with the joy in, in, in Paul's life. And just, it's, it's all over that letter. And the thing that the thing that impressed me about it was that you would, you would look at his circumstances, what was going on in his life. Here's this guy, and he's in prison. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die. I mean, really a difficult situation, obviously, and life-threatening, and yet he's got this joy. He just Book of Philippians isn't a long book. It's only four chapters long, and in those four chapters, 16 times he... In different ways, he talks about the joy that he's got. And so, I just, I love that about this book. And you, you get into the book of Philippians, and you can't help but see that the number one reason for Paul's joy was the love that he had for Jesus Christ. He was devoted to Jesus Christ. He was passionate in his love for Christ. And, and in fact, that's why we gave the series the title we gave it, White Hot. Because his, his love for Christ was white hot. It was just burning love. Paul had something that a lot of people longed to have. He had this, this deep joy inside of himself. It was a joy that just pervaded every single part of, of who he was. And, and it, it, was, it was a joy that you, you read the letter and you, and you understand that he was just completely satisfied in the joy that he had in Jesus Christ. And it just, it's all over. Every single thing that he talks about in this book, he links it to joy. Even the subject we're talking about today, which sometimes you might not connect so much with joy. But I think in another way, people do. And what we're going to talk about today is, is money. Don't you all love to talk about money, right? Uh, you just come here on a Sunday morning. To, but it, what Paul 
does here for us in this passage of scripture is, is just so relevant to our lives. Because one of the things that, that happens is just so easy, it can happen to any one of us, is we, we can think to ourselves, well, if I, if I have just a little bit more money, a little bit more money where I, have, I can have more security, where I can buy more things, where I can have, I can, I can you know, I've got the money to, to buy whatever kind of pleasure I, I have in our life. It's so easy to fall into that trap of thinking that if I just got a little bit more, then I'm going to have more joy in my life. That's the answer to the joy that I'm seeking for my life. The sad thing about it is that, you know, it doesn't take long for somebody to realize that, you know what, it just doesn't provide that lasting joy, a joy that just sticks with you. It just, it all, you know, maybe just for a little while you've got it, but then it, and, and, and then that joy goes away. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that the solution to it is, well, I just need a little bit more. You know, maybe I didn't have enough. Maybe if I get a little bit more money so I have more security, maybe if I get a little bit more money so I can have more things, I get a little bit more money so I can do more things that I want to do, then, then maybe I'll, I'll, have, I'll have that joy. But it never works that way. I think one of the... One of the most famous examples of this goes back to the 40s and 50s. There was a, and some of you may have heard of him. He was one, at one point the, the, our world's richest man. He was a billionaire back at a time when there were much fewer billionaires than there are now and when a billion dollars was, was worth a lot more. And his, his name was Howard Hughes. And one time he was asked the question, well, how much is enough? Any guesses on what he said? Just a little more. Just a little more. I asked Becky, you know, is there anything that I, I mean, this is so dumb. I said, is there anything, I just asked her a minute ago, is there anything that I, like, where I keep buying to make sure I've got enough of it? And she just threw me. She, she said, yeah, shampoo. So what? Yeah. She said, yeah, you've got, like, you know, well, I do, because it's, you get it, you get it on sale, and you get it really cheap, you know? And, and there's a special kind of shampoo that I, I want, and I want to make sure that it's called volume, volumizer. So, you know, anyway, I want to make sure they don't run out of that. Hey, that's the truth. See, here's the deal. It's the potential for all of us to see it this way. Where... Wherever we might be income-wise, we could have little or we could have a lot. The, the potential is there for all of us to be thinking, all, all I need is just a little bit more. A little bit more money, a few more things, uh, you know, a bit more pleasure, a bit more security in my life, and, and then I'll be happy. But, you know, if we think the, this way, the, the problem for us is that, is that a little bit more and even a lot more is never quite enough. We're never, we're never quite content, and, and, and not content, we're not happy. <laughs> and guess what? Feeding into this is you and I live in a, that I think it makes it even more challenging, is the world that you and I live in. We, we li in America, we live in a culture of, of discontent. And, and feeding into this discontent this, this is, you know, uh, the marketeers, you know, and yeah, I'm not, not pointing blame, that's their job. But boy, they just market us for it, right? And, and the thing that they want to try to achieve is, is to convince us that we're discontent. We need just a little bit more. And 
I, of course, the most famous example of this every year uh, at the Super Bowl. You know that I, I, I've heard it. I, I heard this year that that a lot of people watch the Super Bowl just to see the ads. They spend millions of dollars just for a few minutes of prime time, and the reason they do it is absolutely worth it. It it works. Advertising works. The reality, everybody, the truth is, discontent is a thief. It steals our joy. It, it, it robs us of what's guaranteed to give us incredible fulfillment in our life. Con- contentment, on the other hand, is, is a never-ending source of joy, all because of what it makes possible for each one of us. It, it makes it possible for us to be generous. It makes, it pos- makes generosity possible. I mean, ask anyone who's been generous if they were disappointed in being generous. Or if they found it unfulfilling, and they'll come right back to you and you say, they'll say, are you kidding me? Absolutely not. It, was, it, it gave me more joy than anything else in my life for, for me to be content. That, I mean, that's, that's real. That's a message of the 10 verses we come to this morning. Philippians chapter 4 and, and verses 10 through 19. And, and what Paul talks about here is he talks about contentment. And he talks about how contentment leads to generosity. And, and generosity gives, gives to us this joy. And, and I, I, am, I am really, seriously, I am so grateful to God that I can share this passage with you this morning. Because if you've come here today and you have this discontent in your life, this lack of contentment, what, what we're going to look at here this morning is the answer to that discontent that you've got in your life that's, that's robbing your joy. Well, two things then that we're going to see here. and One is contentment and the other one is generosity. And... I, I, I found these in, in really in the outline that in, in certain words that Paul or phrases that Paul uses. And the first phrase is, is one that is found in verse 12. It's a phrase that Paul used to describe himself. And it, it points us to this whole thing of contentment. It's where Paul said, I've, I've learned the secret of being content. And we're going to look at that statement. The second phrase is found in verse 16. And it's a phrase that Paul used to describe the, the Philippians and their relationship with him, and it points us to generosity. And, 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 and this is what he said about them. He said, you sent me aid again and again. You, you were there for me over and over again. Okay, so first of all, let, let's look at this thing of contentment, and then we'll see what Paul wrote about generosity. So uh, chapter 4, verse 10, he writes this. He said, I, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me, Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I think it's helpful to have a bit of background here. When the Apostle Paul um, met Jesus Christ, and, and Jesus Christ changed his life, and he, he became a follower of Jesus Christ, a believer in Christ, Paul, Paul went from someone who was a Pharisee, who was, honestly, he was like the worst enemy of the church, and and persecuting Christians, having Christians killed. He went from doing that to being someone that God called to go, go, to, go at, to as many cities as he possibly could in the, in, in the lifetime God gave him to tell people the, the good news of God's grace 
through Jesus Christ. And so part of that is he went from being a Pharisee who had a, who had a, who a, who had a consistent and a good income to, to, to being somebody who was a missionary who had what's pretty typical, the, a, 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 a poor and inconsistent income. Okay? And, and it's not like that Paul refused to work. I mean, Paul, if you read Acts chapter 18, one of the things you find out is that Paul spent some of his time making tents. That was like his, his skill that he had developed. And he, so whenever he could, he would do that to bring in some income for himself. But, but here's the deal, everybody. Paul, Paul was passionate about bringing the gospel to people. And so he didn't want to spend time making tents. He wanted to spend as much time as he possibly could telling other people about Jesus Christ. And so what this meant for him is that he, he had to depend on other people to give him money to help, help you know, pay his bills, food to eat and clothes to wear and, 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 and all of that. And, and so as he's, the thing that happened is that the Philippians were, were there for him. They, they gave him the support that, that he needed. And, and so he's, as he finishes this letter, he's, he's really doing a good thing. He's wanting to thank them for, for what they've done for him. And, and as he does this, it's like he opens up a window into his own heart. And that's what we're looking at this morning. So let's, let's, un, let's uh, look at this. Verse 11 and verse 12, he begins writing about himself. And he said, I'm, I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. We're, we're going to unpack this, these two verses. And, and we're going to do it through a set of key words. And the, and the first key word is the word content. It's, it's an interesting word that Paul uses here. It's, in fact, it's... It's the only place in the New Testament where, where it shows up. And it's, it's a word that was used by the Stoics who were Greek philosophers. If you know anything about Stoics, you know that Stoics were, were into discipline. All right? Discipline. Specifically, mental discipline. Okay? What your mind dwells on. And I love this. They, they, they believed that it was very important, very smart to focus your mind on those things that you could change and those things you can, you can control. Not to waste time on things that are outside of your power, where you can't have any effect on them whatsoever. I think, I think that's pretty smart. Stoics were also into self-sufficiency. They believed that everything that you and I need is in our head. That we're, It's like we're, we're, we're captains of our own ship. We're masters of our own fate. Now here's what Paul did. That word content comes out of this idea of the Stoics. This, this idea of discipline and self-sufficiency. And he's, he's taking a part of this as a way of saying that what you and I need to be content isn't out there outside of ourselves. It, 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 it's, it, we've, got it, we've got it within our own minds. We can, we can do it. And 
It is something that you and I can control and you and I can change. This whole thing of contentment. Paul's saying you and I have what it, what it takes to be content. It's inside our head. And he said, what we need is that kind of discipline of, of our mind to believe this and to act on it. And, and, and so in a certain way, Paul's saying, there's no excuses here when it comes to this thing of contentment in our life. We, we can do it. Now, now we're going to come back to that, so hold on to it, because there's, there, there is a major difference, though, between what Paul said and, and what the Stoics said, now, and we're going to look at that. Now, there's another word we could use for the word content. And it was kind of fun for me. I, 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 I spent some time on this because I want to try to find a word that might help us remember this and, and, and might give us a, a, a bit more understanding of what Paul's talking about. And it's, it's the word equilibrium. And I did this. I looked that word up in the dictionary and make sure I had it right. And, and there are several different definitions that are all kind of interrelated to each other and one of those de definitions fits with what Paul's talking about here in in this these verses and it Webster defines equilibrium this way it's it's living in a state of intellectual and emotional balance tell you what that that little definition really fits with what we do with our money doesn't it I mean uh, anybody ever run by your emotions the things that you buy or you don't really think through, should I, you know, do I really need that? Should, how, how, you know, when you think of people getting into problem with, with their finances, their, and with credit cards, it's that they, they're not in, in that state of a balance, intellectually and emotionally. They, they really don't have it together. There's, there's a lack of, of health within themselves, all right? Um, another way to think of this is that you're at complete peace with yourself. And you have reason to because you've, you've handled your finances the right way. You've been content. That's, that's what Paul is talking about here. And it points to the joy that he's got in his own life. So that's the first word, the word content or equilibrium. The second word, which is actually a phrase, is that one that I mentioned earlier. It's learn the secret. Paul writes in verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content. That's actually one word in the Greek, and it, and, and it means, literally means to be initiated. It's a, it's a word that Paul pulled out of the mystery religions of that day where, which if you've, you know, there are certain groups today, you know, if, you, if somebody wants to get into that group, whatever it might be, they, they have to go through this initiation. And, and, and sometimes a part of that is that you've got to know the password. And what Paul did is he took that same word and, and he's, he's, he's saying is, and it's not that he, you know, he wasn't into a mystery religion or any kind of a cult, but he's, he's, it's like Paul saying, you know what, I'm starting my own club. It's the contentment club and I've learned the password into that club. Okay, hold on to that. We're going to come back to it, okay? But I'm just going to say this. I think that's got a really good sound to it, to be in the contentment club. Third word, and actually it's two words together. It's the word plenty and want. So look at that statement again in verse 12. Paul said, I, I, I know what it is to be in need. 
And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul said, I've lived in two worlds. I've been in both worlds. I've, I know what it's like to have more than I need, a lot more. I know what it's like to not have enough, you know, what, what I, to not have all that I, I do need. Even, even to the point where he said, Paul said, there have been times in, I, in my life where I, I, I did not have enough food to eat. I mean, he's lived in the world of prosperity and he's lived in the world of poverty. And he said, in both words, worlds, I've learned to be content. Well, that's not something to miss, okay? Because it, it, it is so easy to think that discontent only flows out of poverty. That if we prosper, then we're not going to, we're, we're, you know, we're going to be totally content. But you know, the, boy, I tell you what, the reality is in our world, and I'm sure it was in, in Paul's world, it, you, can, you can get more and more and more and more, and you can be every bit as discontent, maybe even more so than when you had, had little. I mean, how many times have I heard people say, I was a lot happier back when I had very little than now when I, when I have a lot. All right? Do you agree? Okay, do you? Okay, good, just one. Thank you. You know what I'm talking about, right? It's so easy to get into that consuming cycle that, that you, you've just been in so long, it's like you can't even get out of it where you think I've just got to have more and I've got to have more because you've got this, you've bought into the lie of our world, you know, and, and so you have this never-ending discontent. And then there's this whole thing of poverty. And I think, you know, if you've ever been at that point in your life where you've had very, very, very little, it's so easy, isn't it, to look at the people around you, you've got a lot, and, and just go, you know, I think a word for it is covet, right? You desperately want what they have. Here's the deal, everybody. You can, you can be discontent at whatever level you're at financially. Where what you have isn't good enough and where you want better and you want more. I, um, I grew up on a farm uh, where my dad either chose or couldn't not to buy new machinery. So we never had a, you know, a new tractor, a new combine, a new whatever kind of, you know, a truck or whatever. It was always... You know, second hand, third hand, fourth hand. And, you know, and, and, and I, I, can, I can remember being in the field plowing in the fall. You all know what plowing is? You know? Now, I, you know, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. So I, I dug around and I found this picture of myself. That's <laughs> um, my dad's behind in the plow and I'm, um, we used to dress up a lot more back then, you know? Things were a lot more formal, but but seriously, this is what this is what this is about. The next picture will show you. That's what I, that's what I that looks like it. Okay, had a three bottom plow. It had three shovels on it. Now I can remember, you know, no cab or any of that. It was right out there in the open, and and I can remember I can remember the time and when and there was this kind of starting where you're getting to be bigger farms all the time and. And I can remember on, on the other side of the road from where I was plowing, 
this humongous tractor pulls in. You know, it's got the whole nine yards, it's got everything. Gigantic wheels. It was when cabs were starting, you know, the cab where you can get inside and, and you're just climate control and all that kind of stuff. And, I'm, and, and then this guy had a plow that was like three times wider than my dad's plow. And so that when, you know, in the same amount of time, I might like do this much, get this much done, and this guy would, the other guy would get this much done, you know. And I can remember just going, man, I want to... I wish my dad had that kind of a tractor and that kind of a plow. And it's nothing, it's nothing like there was anything wrong with what my dad had. It's just that the other one was newer and bigger and faster. And so it's like, I wanted that. And, you know, I mean, we go through that everywhere. It's easy to go through. Paul, Paul's writing to us here, and he can speak to both worlds. The world of plenty and the world of want and everything between and all of them, he's saying, I've learned the secret of being content. He's saying, I've learned the password into one of the best clubs a person could possibly be in, God's Contentment Club. He said, it's a, it's a place of wonderful equilibrium, a place of intellectual and emotional balance, a, a place where you're at complete peace with yourself. He said, it's a place of joy. Paul's learned the secret, the password into this place. And he, and he gives to it, it to us in verse 13. And his secret is Jesus Christ and the strength that, that Jesus Christ alone can give. And, and so he makes this statement in verse 13. He said, and it's, a, it's one of those well-known statements in the Bible. He said, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Let's take us back to the... The Stoics' self-sufficiency. Where they believe that everything that you and I need is in ourselves. It's in our head. And remember I said, Paul agreed with this. And, and, and you know, he agreed that you and I have got what it takes to be content. But there's one major difference between what he meant by that and what the Stoics meant. You see, Paul wasn't into self-sufficiency. He was into Christ-sufficiency. He's saying, yeah, it's true, I've got everything I need in myself, but what I'm talking about, he, he said here, it's, it's who I've got living in me. It's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I have the power of God in me. There's a huge difference between self-sufficiency and Christ-sufficiency. And so, you know, what I... What I just want to say to you this morning, if you've come here today and you've been on that treadmill of discontent that's been robbing you of your joy, friend, if, you're a, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have God himself living in you. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And so you have what it takes to get off of that treadmill of discontent and, and, and get onto that path of contentment that, that God would love to have you be on. Now, here's what contentment makes possible for each one of us. It makes it possible for you and I to be one of the most wonderful things that any person can be. It makes it possible for you and I to be generous. Which brings us to the generosity that Paul saw in the Philippians. And, and, and so he, he makes this statement in verse 14, you know. He had, he had just said in verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But then he goes right on in verse 14 and he said, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. 
And boy, when, you, when Paul uses that word troubles, what we really should do is put it all in capital letters because, man, that guy knew trouble, okay? Remember last week I read this passage to you from the second chapter of, of Corinthians? Um, um, I mean, uh, second letter to the Corinthians and where Paul described what he's been going through. Look at that, you know? He said, I've been in prison, I've been flogged, I've been exposed to death again and again. He said, five times I've been beaten with 39 lashes, three times I was beaten with rods, and once I was stoned, and three times I was shipwrecked, and once I spent a night, uh, a, a night and day in the open sea, and I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers and bandits, I've labored and toiled, I've often gone without sleep, I've Known hunger and thirst, I've often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. I'd say that's trouble. Yeah. Through all of that, the Philippians have been there for him. They've been there for him. But you know what? And this just this just grabbed my attention. They were unique. In all the churches that Paul started, they were unique in the support that, that they gave him. I mean, look at what Paul writes in the next verse, in verse 15. I just, I just think this is really sad. He, he said, moreover, as you Philippians know, in, their, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when, when I set out from Macedonia, not, not one church, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. Isn't that hard to understand? I just think it's so hard to understand why anyone who, who benefits from the ministry of someone else is, is not involved in, in you know, supporting that person in that ministry and helping them and being there for them. Now, hear me on this, okay? I mean, you know my heart, right? For what I'm about to say. And, and if you're a guest here today, just kind of, Tune me out for a minute. This is family talk, okay? See, I think what was true back then is still true today in, in churches in America. I think it's true in our church. I mean, it's true that there are, there are many of you who attend this church. You're absolutely generous. You're, you're faithful to God. You're, 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 you're giving according to what, how God has blessed you and everything that God's given you. you. You understand that, man, we don't have these, we can't get the lights on. We can't do all that we do as a church without every single, you know, with all of us being responsible in, in doing our part. There are, I'm, I'm thankful for those of you who have that, who are doing that. And I have absolutely no idea what anybody gives to this church. But I can do my math, and I know the number of people that we have. I mean, we have over 2,000 people who consider this church to be their church. And I, I put all that up, and I, and I look at the, the amount of money that's coming in. And I, I mean, I can just do the math, and I can figure it out. There, it just says to me that there are enough people in this church who, who really aren't doing what they should be doing and giving what they should be giving. And, and being generous, and the giving has got to be hit and miss, and, and very much less than what you're able to give. Again, I, I just say that, you know, you know my heart. I mean, 
You know me. You know, I, you know I care for you. And what I care most about is that I want you to miss the, the contentment that you can have, the, the joy that comes with generosity in your life. I just, I really don't want you to miss that. Good thing. Paul said the Philippians did care for him. They were there when he needed them. So look at that statement again at the end of verse 15. And then in, in verse 16 he said, Except you only, for even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Paul said, just, you know, not just once, but over and over again, you were there for me. And, and you know, he's, that's generosity. Now, look at what he writes in verse 17. I mean, it's, it's an amazing insight into what God does in and through the person who's, who's generous in their life. Paul, Paul writes this, he said, not that I'm looking for a gift. Paul said, you know, the important thing is not that I'm going to get this gift from you. He, he said, no, but he said, I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. Wow. You know, what, you know what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, everybody, I know what God can do through what we give financially to ministry. That's what he's saying. I know, I know what God can do through it. I know, I know the lives that can be transformed through it. I know people who can come to faith in Jesus Christ as a result of, of, of me going from one city to another and telling people the message of God's grace through Jesus Christ. He's saying... I want this to be credited to your account. Th think about how many people have come to faith in Jesus Christ since the days of Paul and the Philippians. Hundreds of thousands, millions of Christians have flowed out of the efforts of Paul. Efforts made possible because, because the Philippians were there for him. Oh, everybody, I'm so thankful that I can say to you what I can say to you about Brookside Church, what, what Paul said. All you have to do is come here on a Wednesday evening. Just come here on a Wednesday evening, and you'll see what I'm talking about. Last Wednesday, what's up? I, I, the, the sermon was flowing. So, you know, the words were coming for me. It's like, you know, sometimes you, you, you're writing a sermon, and it's like, Ugh, I can't think of what, you know, it's just, but then you have those times where it's just coming and you don't want to quit because you're, you know, you've, so I, at five o'clock, I, I knew I just wanted to keep working on this sermon and, but I was tired. And so I did something I'm not going to do again. Well, I've said that before, but, but anyway, I, I drank a, I got a Starbucks grande coffee. And I drank it at 5 o'clock. I mean, I was just, I got more wired as the night went. I mean, I was so wide awake by 10, 11 o'clock at night. It was like, whoa. So I'm not going to do that, all right, anymore. But you know what I did? At 7 o'clock, I, 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 this is all I can do now in this sermon. So I finished, and I thought, you know what? I'm not just going to go home. I'm going to go take a peek at all the different ministries that are going on in this building. And so I, I walked out of my office at the far north end and, and I walked into our old worship center, what we now call the hub, 
and I saw our, our high school students worshiping God. I tell you what, everybody, if you've never gone in a Wednesday night and watched that, go there some Wednesday night and stand in the back of the room and watch, watch a room packed full of kids who are, who are just worshiping God with all of their heart. I mean, it is wonderful worship that's taking place there. And then James Pruch, who's, who's uh, our, uh, our intern uh, working with me, and, and so he, we're giving him as many opportunities as we can to teach. And James is there teaching from the fifth chapter of Ephesians on marriage to these high school kids. And he's just doing an awesome job of it. It's just, it was just so fantastic for me to be able to hear that. And, and then I, I stepped out of that room and I started walking down the hallway and here were all these little wanna kids. You know, all these little little kids, and I went down even to the lower level where the really little ones are, and, and I mean, man, I tell you, just, you go like, wow, we're really doing the right thing here. These, these little children, they're having a blast, but at the same time, they're learning the truth of God's word. They're memorizing God's word, and then I walked all the way down here to this worship center where our middle students meet, fifth grade, uh, uh, I mean, sixth grade, uh, seventh grade, and eighth grade, and, and, and all the chairs are gone, and, and this room is just, I mean, I was amazed at how many kids were actually here, just all over, sitting on the floor. And Jack Archer is up here teaching, and Jack is doing an incredible job of teaching these middle students the truth of God's word. That's what's happening here on a Wednesday night. Life-transforming kinds of things. And, and, and that's true for all the different ministries that we have for children and high school students and, and middle school students and, 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 and adults. We're having ministries that are, that are reaching people with the message of God's grace that, that's leading to life transformation where they're loving God more, they're learning what it means to love God, and they're learning what it means to love other people. I mean, worth every dollar. It's given. Paul finishes this in verse 18 and 19, and he said, kind of sums it all up, and he said, I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent there. He said, they're a fragrant offering there and an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. He said, he said, man, you're just blessing God by what you're doing. And then he makes a statement in verse 19. He said, and my God, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Remember last week, the principle that I gave you that Paul used to deal with the pressure and the stress in his life. I, I said, use big truth, God's truth, in, in little places and big places and everything in between. That, that principle fits here. If you're ever hesitant to, to trust God and give with generosity because you think you might, you might not have enough to meet your needs, remember that principle. Remember God's truth. Remember this verse, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Oh, you know, I, after, after first service, I had, a, I had a couple, a young couple, come over to me over here and, and they said, boy, this sermon is so timely for us today because, and 
the husband just lost his job this week. And then I heard them say this as we were talking and then we spent time praying together. They said, boy, this, this whole thing of, of giving and being obedient to God, giving God back our tithe, the first 10%, they said, you know what? We got one more check coming and we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to keep on trusting God. That's, that's what we're talking about. So I'd like to give, just give you some practical disciplines here. Number one, to help this stick. Number one, you know, you know what? You've got to learn contentment with little. And I say this especially to, to those of you who are young, you know, in your 20s, 30s, or even younger. You know, don't say to yourself, well, when I make more money, then I'll begin to, to give to God the way I should give to God. You know, you know what? You, you learn contentment. The best way to learn it is when you got little. <laughs> when you got little. Number two, you know what? It's return to God the first 10% of what you earn. There's two things about this. The Bible, the Bible tells us that this is, our, this is the baseline standard for our giving. This is where we should start at 10%. And i got to tell you, everybody, it is one of the best disciplines to have in our life to learn, to learn how to be content. I mean, it just, it, it just does, does something to us when we discipline ourselves that we're going to say, you know what? The first 10% of everything that I earn is going to go to God. It just, it just, it, it helps create this discipline of contentment in, in, in our life. I mean, it just does. It just works that way. Um, number three. Here's what you might do if you're, if you're sitting out here this morning and you're, you've never tied, you've never done it. You might be saying to yourself, yeah, Steve, I, you know, I, I, I don't really believe you that God's going to provide. You know what you might do? Give yourself a 90-day test. Okay? Do it for 90 days. Do it for three months. And see if God isn't faithful. And here's the last one. You know what? Nothing happens unless you make a plan. You could, you could sit in here today and you could listen to me and you might, you might agree with about 80% or 90% or 100% of what I say, but you, you've never really been living in contentment. You've, you've been living in discontent. I've got to tell you, you what you've got to do is you've got to make a plan. You've got to say to yourself when you walk out of here today, you know what, I'm not going to let another day go by, I'm not going to let another week go by without dealing with this, this whole issue in my life. Boy, I know that many of you want to be joy-filled. And I know you want peace in this part of your life, your finances. You, I know you want this for your family. And so what I'm saying to you this morning, and it comes from God's word, you can, you can find contentment in Christ. You really can. And you know, the beauty of this whole thing is that it's... it's it's a total win all the way around. If, you, if, you, if you're content so that you're generous, so then you give with that generosity, then you have this incredible joy in your life. I mean, it just, it just happens. You, you find joy in giving, and then what happens is God provides. There's just no loss. It's a total win. It's a total win. Yeah, it's a total win.
So, um, yeah. <laughs> Let's stand together and pray, and then we'll worship God.